So I want to continue our thoughts about the dinner party dialogues. And in this passage in Luke 22, Jesus is um, instituting the Lord's Supper. And as I said to you, we'll get back to a little three or five sermon series on the Lord's Supper before too long. But they are instituting the supper and this dispute arises. That's what we looked at two weeks ago. A dispute arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And Jesus said, you guys don't have a clue. That's the Carter translation. (laughs) Um, So the greatest one is the one who serves. And um, so I want to take it up in verse 28 and read verses 28 through 34. Um, And... Before we read that and pray, uh, one of the things I want to emphasize in the sermon, it's pretty obvious in this sermon, uh, but uh, there's more going on than we can see, right? I mean, I mean that not just physically. I mean, there are things out there that are happening that we don't really see. Maybe we hear about some we never hear about. But I'm thinking about the non-physical world, the spiritual world. I mean, Paul said our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So unseen to our physical eyes, there are things going on about us and around us. Uh, There's a battle raging every day. Um... There's warfare, I think Sunday morning especially. Um, there's, there's, there's satanic intervention. There are things happening. And we don't really often think about this aspect of reality, but I think we should, and this text will force that to a certain extent. In general, we need to be in touch with reality, right? What An insane person is what? Somebody who's not in touch with reality, at least a colloquial definition so that we will not be surprised when we encounter things in the, in the, in the unseen, the spiritual world. But if there is an unseen enemy like the devil that wants to oppose the people of God, we better know that. We better not be too surprised about that. We better take uh, action to be ready for that and thwart the devil's intentions. Um, The last thing that Jesus says in the passage before... I want to look at verses 31 and 32. But the last thing He says before that is that the Father has assigned to you a kingdom. And that's good news, right? Uh, They're going to have a kingdom. The, The kingdom has come. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom will come in its fullness and its finality. And um, they will have fellowship with Jesus... You will eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. That's good news. Let's pray and then we'll read and have a look. Father, help us, settle us, center us upon you. Help us to think for a few minutes about what's going on and what we need to do. And help us to learn from, from what 
you told Peter so long ago, things that can help us today, and use a wretchedly sinful crooked stick to show the narrow way of the Lord Jesus, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Luke 22, beginning at verse 28, and I remind you, we believe that the Bible is the Word of God written, the only inerrant and infallible rule of faith and practice. You are those who stayed with me in my trials, and I assigned to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom that you may eat and drink and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again... Strengthen your brothers. Let's stop there. Amen. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but God's word abides forever and forever. I want us to first look at Satan's request in verse 31. You'll note the emphasis, Simon, Simon. Uh, That's for emphasis. When they were in the boat and thought Jesus was asleep, they said, Master, Master, do you not care that we're perishing? And, they, and he says, behold, which is a, a word indicating emphasis. He's saying, listen up. Simon, listen up. Satan has asked, the ESV says, demanded to sift you as wheat. Now, I'm saying that's a request because I don't think Satan can successfully make demands of God the Father. That's the reason I had us read Job 1. In Job 1, Satan's uh, power and touch is limited by the plan and purpose of God. And the Greek word uh, can mean to ask permission as well as demand. And so there's the absolute sovereignty of God that Satan comes up against. And sometimes, as in the case of Job, as in the case of Peter, as in the case of you and me perhaps... God allows Satan with limited scope to sift his people like wheat. And it's a request that that is made, look at the text, Behold, Satan has demanded to have you, I think he's gone to the Father to ask for this. Just like he went to God the Father in Job 1. And he cannot do anything without God's permission. So it's a request by Satan who had already entered into Judas, right? Who soon would attack Jesus on the cross through the crowds. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. And the temptation there, I may preach this later, the temptation there is take your glory without your suffering. And that is, I think, one of Satan's great temptations. He now is attacking the twelve. He accuses the brethren before God. And so in a healthy way, I think we need to be respectful, even fearful of the devil. What do I mean in a healthy way? Well, understanding the limitations on the devil, understanding the fatherly love of God the Father, understanding that the Father wants the best for us, understanding that nothing in life and death and things present and things to come can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In face of all that, we have a healthy respect, even fear, of the devil, and we should be wary. 
So it's a request to sift Simon. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan is demanded to have you. And the you is plural. The you is plural. And I think Simon is somewhat a representative of the entire group here. Satan wants all of them, and I would go so far as to say all of us, to be like Judas and give up the faith. He wants them to apostatize. He wants them to go astray. So what is it to sift? Well, I think one of the root meanings is to shake. You know, you've seen a a sift like wheat. You've seen pictures. They would have a sieve. They would throw the wheat up. The the chaff would go away. Um, And and it is is a, a shaking. It's a shaking. A sifting is a shaking. Uh, in Amos 9, Behold, I, I will command and shake the house of Israel among all the nations as one shakes with a sieve, but no pebble shall fall to the earth. So, so to sift is to shake, and, and to shake in an attempt to break apart into pieces, right? You shift so that the, the kernel and the chaff are separated. I remember uh, years ago, uh, asking a lady in the church in Alabama, how are you doing today? And she said, well, I'm having to come apart. And I thought, well, that's an odd kind of language. I've never thought, heard of it that way. I think it immediately I understood what she meant, right? I'm having to come apart today. Well, what Satan wants to do in his shaking and sifting is for Peter to have a come apart spiritually, right? He wants to take him apart and not put him back together. And indeed, he will come apart, but he will, in time, come back together. What's going to sift these people? What's going to sift Simon? Well, Simon had given up everything to follow Jesus, right? And yet, this man who claims to be the Son of God is going to be humble to the point of being nailed to a Roman cross naked. I would shake me too. Right? You know, he comes, shows up, I'm God in the flesh. You guys should follow me. And then he gets crucified. Oh. Can I believe this man? Can I trust this man? Should I follow this man? The depths of the pain in the person of Jesus will will sift him. You've experienced that, right? Somebody you loved? Somebody you had held? Somebody you had known? Experiences pain? Awful pain? And you wonder, is God good? The Bible says He's good. But I'm living life here. I'm living the gap between promise and reality. Is good? Is God good? That's going to sift Simon. And Simon's own trials, his own pains, will sift him as well. Satan is making a last and desperate attempt to break up the circle of Jesus' followers here and to cast them out like Chaff is scattered by the wind. That's what he's trying to do. So that's the obvious 
request, there's an implied response. God says, okay, shake him. Right? Okay, shake him. Job, okay, test him. I believe Job doesn't love me just because life is good for Job. But let's test him, shake him. It's the plan of God, it's the will of God, it's the purpose of God for Simon. Why did this happen to Satan at this point? I mean, to to Simon at this point. Well, perhaps it was this dispute about who was the greatest that had just happened. Uh, Perhaps it's the braggadocio that Peter evidences just beyond this when he said, Lord, I'm ready to go uh, and, and die with you and, 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 and pr- go to prison with you. Maybe it's that. Jesus knows that's coming. Whatever the reason, you can be sure of this. And in, in the trials of life, God's goal is always that we be strengthened. And Satan's goal is always that we fall and be destroyed. So what do we want to learn from this? And here's the first thing, the obvious thing, the big thing. Even those near and dear to God may be sifted by Satan. No one's exempt. It comes in different forms in different ways and different times with different people. Peter is near and dear to God. He is the one that confessed that Jesus was the Christ at Caesarea Philippi with all the idolatry that was there. He is one who walked on the water to Jesus. He was with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He is near and dear to God. He is near and dear to Jesus Christ. And Peter was tried. And it could happen to any of us via sickness and job loss and persecution. We need to put away our pride and our presumption and cast ourselves upon God alone. It's a real, real possibility. Secondly, Jesus' prayer in verse 32, the first part. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Jesus prayed. The only begotten Son of the Father prayed. The great, faithful, final high priest prayed. Hebrews 7, verse 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. If I had been able to do a, 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 a survey or a quiz for you as you walked in and said to you, what did Jesus do in the past? you would have said, well, he lived a sinless life. He died on the cross as a substitute for sinners. He was raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And many of you, most of you, I think, would have known all those things. If I said to you, what's Jesus doing now? Some of you would have, I think less of you would have been able to say, well, he's praying for, the, for his people. Uh, I think that's less well known. I think that's less well appreciated But there's no comfort greater than this. Satan is going to sift Simon like wheat, but Jesus has already prayed for him ahead of time. And here's the content of the prayer, that Simon's faith may not fail. Note, please, what what Jesus did not pray for Simon, that the trial might be removed. The Father had approved the trial. 
And I think sometimes we pray wrongly in that regard, right? We pray more for trials to be removed than for trials to be sanctified and for us to have the grace to withstand the trials that God in His sovereignty is allowing to come upon us. He prayed that Simon's faith not fail, that Simon's fail not dis- faith not disappear. Simon wants to undermine our faith, just like he undermined the faith of Adam and Eve in the garden. Is God really good? God said you can do that, but not do this. Is God good? And he's casting doubt on the veracity and the goodness of God. And he wants to undermine our faith. And, and that's a really huge thing because it's faith that takes you through the trials, right? It's faith that caused us, allowed us to reach out to Jesus. And from our point of view, keeps us connected to Jesus. It's sometimes what we call faithfulness. I pray that your faithfulness would not fail. And so his faith is going to be tested And that's an old thing in the scriptures. You find it all through the Bible. People's faith is tested. Um, Over and over you find it. And and Peter wrote this way uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1. In this you rejoice, even though now for a little while, as was necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith The tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perish, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The tested genuineness of your faith. You see, faith that's been tested appears to be more genuine. appears to be more real. Uh, If you've got a, a, a $20 bill that you're wondering if it's counterfeit or not, You go to the bank, you have it tested. Why? Well, you think, oh, well, but it might be fake. Uh, Yeah, it could be. But if it's tested and found to be genuine, you have more confidence it's the real thing then, you see. And when our faith is tested and and perseveres, we have more confidence that we have the real thing. Many, many years ago, I read a book by a a longshoreman, uh, I forget whether he lived in L.A. or or the Bay Area, named Eric Hoffer, uh, entitled The True Believer. Uh, Now, he he was uh, not a Christian, uh, and and, uh, at the same time I was reading a book about uh, communism, what communists did to train their people, And, and the communists would put their their devotees in situations in which they had to be persecuted. They would take them and say, you go hand out communist literature on the street corner. Why? Well, they knew they would be uh, verbally abused and spat upon. And you think, was that really what what you want for your followers? Well, they knew some would fall away, but they knew the ones that withstood it, the ones that had the tested genuineness of their faith in the communist system would be the real deal. It's a similar thing, I think. A similar thing. Faith fails by doubt. That's what happened to Lot's wife. And so we want our faith to grow and be strengthened. How does that happen? Well, it happens by food. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. But it also happens by testing and trial. Um, one of the real odd things 
about the first day of football practice. Well, actually, I'll say the second day of football practice is you feel like you feel awful. And, and there's lactic acid that's usually built up in muscles that you haven't used as you should have in getting ready for the season. And, and, and yet, by weakness comes strength, right? When you test and try, uh, you become stronger. And I think that's what's being talked about here, that Simon's faith will continue to grow stronger as a result of this, um, that, that Simon will hold fast, to use the words of Hebrews chapter 10, God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. Second Peter, the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials, and he will rescue Peter from this trial. Um, thirdly, Jesus charged to Simon at the end of verse 32, I have prayed for you and that your faith may not fail. When you have turned again... Strengthen your brothers. The assumption in these words, when you have turned back, the assumption is you will turn away. Right? The, the assumption is he will turn away, that he will be shaken. Uh, temporarily, his faith will go into eclipse. You know what a, uh, an eclipse is, a lunar or solar eclipse, where it's there, but then you can't see it for a while, right? His, his faith will go into eclipse, and then it will come back uh, strong, um, and, and the implied promise in this command is you will turn back to your former state of faithfulness to Jesus. If I had a jar of a, a bottle of Italian salad dressing up here, think people, wake up and think, okay, here we go. So if I had a jar of Italian salad dressing up here, it would have different levels of different stuff in it, okay? I'm not a cook, so I won't even embarrass myself by saying what it is. But if you shake it, it all is messed up. It's all mixed up. But if you leave it sitting there for a while, it separates out again. So that's what's going to happen to Peter. He's going to be shaken. He's going to be shaken, but he's going to come back together. And when he does, the charge here is to strengthen your brothers. Peter's to strengthen them in their faith amid persecution and temptation. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul wrote, he said, We sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith so that no one may, move, may be moved by these afflictions. So you don't want them to be moved away from their position of faith by the afflictions. In 1 Peter 5, After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So Jesus is saying to Peter, Look, you're going you're gonna to get sifted. You're going to fall away. Temporarily, you're going to go into eclipse and then your faith is going to separate out again and you're going to come back and be stronger. And when you do, strengthen your brothers. Testify to your brothers of the faithfulness of God from your personal experience. Warn them about Satan and his ways. Remind them that God's ways are not our ways. That's what God does. That's His plan. That's His purpose. That's the way He works. It's this wonderful passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 
at verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and God of all comforts, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Right? So Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, look, uh, God is the Father of mercies and God of comforts, and He comforts us so that we can then comfort others. And that's what he's calling Simon Peter to do. He said, look, when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Um, lady in the church in Alabama named Kathy lost a child in utero almost full term. I had that happen several times. It's one of the most awful times and parts of ministry when you have to go and bring comfort to people that have endured such an absolutely tragic loss. And Kathy, um, in my dealing with her, one of the things I said to her is, uh, Kathy, I believe God will use this uh, in your life and later in somebody else's life. And I didn't remember I'd said that to her, but then years later, years later, uh, Kathy is up reporting to the congregation she had been on a trip, I think a mission trip that the church went on to the Czech Republic. I think that's right, but if it's not right, it really doesn't matter. But anyway, she's in front of the congregation, and she's, I don't remember how she wove this in, and she said, you know, when we lost John Mark, um, Alan told me that he thought that God would use this sometime in the future. And then she said, and I didn't believe him. <laughs> and I thought, oh, well, you never told me that, <laughs> you know. And then she said, but last Wednesday I got that opportunity because a fellow teacher of mine lost a child in utero. And I could go to her and weep with her and bring comfort to her that God is good, even in the midst of these awful trials. And I thought, praise God, praise God. She didn't believe me, but the sweet providences of God worked that out in the long run. Jesus prayed for Peter so that Peter could help his brothers in the faith. Peter's the one through whom God is going to bring comfort to his brothers. Have you been helped by God in a time of immense trial? Praise God for that. But it's not over. <laughs> because now God charges you, go help others. Others are going to walk in those same moccasins. You need to help them. Indeed, we should ask ourselves who we've helped lately. So, let me summarize it all, okay? What, there's more going on than we can see. There's a spiritual realm. We labor not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Satan is sifting some of God's people. And so our faith must be in God and His resources, not in our own resources. They are, we're no match for Satan. Brash self-confidence like Peter's must be set aside. 
Faith that God does all things well is what we must cultivate. And we must be on guard against the devil's schemes because they will come. And we must maintain our faith and grow our faith. So we must pray to God for help, for mercy. And when we get it, help one another. And don't forget, Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. Satan cannot cause God's people to fall away in a final and complete manner. So, I want to close with this story. Um, the, uh, the man who succeeded me at Faith Church of Birmingham is a man named Jason. Great guy. He had big shoes to fill, you know, but anyway, I'm kidding. He is really a great guy. And he said in a text this week, Alan, I got a hard phone call last night from my dad. Late yesterday afternoon, he took my mother to the ER. She had been having some gastrointestinal and abdominal issues over the last few weeks. After doing blood work, scans, etc., they discovered several spots on her liver and a mass on her lungs. The oncologist came in this morning and is certain it's cancer. They will do a biopsy at 4.30 today to determine the stage and type. Pray for our family, but especially my parents. As you might imagine, they are all shocked and struggling. I will update you as I know more. Thanks for praying. Sally and I just stopped and prayed for your mom and dad, their children and grandchildren, and we will endeavor to persist in praying for all of you. Thanks for letting us know. This is not heaven, but heaven is coming and cancer will be cast into the lake of fire. Please keep us posted. I'm scheduled to preach this Sunday on the text, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I pray for you that your faith may not fail. Interestingly, Jesus did not pray for the removal of the trial, only that Peter's faith might not fail. I will pray that the faith of all of your family not fail, and that your mom will be given long life and length of days. So I inquired the day of the biopsy. He said, we don't have biopsy results and type and stage, etc., until early next week, da-da-da. I talked to her a few minutes ago, and I was deeply encouraged by her. She is taking her faith with her into this storm. Friends, when Satan sifts and the storm blows, take your faith with you into the storm. Let's pray. Lord our God, I want to thank you for this passage brings some reality to some of the popular theology that's out there today that's at least skewed, if not untrue. Thank you, Lord, that you're praying for your people that our faith not fail. And it won't, not because we're strong, but because your prayer is powerful more powerful than the devil, more powerful than anything in the universe. I pray, Lord, as we come to this table this morning, 
that we will be convinced afresh and anew of the depths of your love for us, that you died for us, that we might truly live. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.